Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. I declare anointing in this room right now. Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. 7.30 a.m. July the 1st. 1916, France, along the banks of the Somme River, the flower of Britain's youth rose from the trenches and began a trek towards victory that they believed would protect their country and protect the country of France. British soldiers and French soldiers began that trek towards the enemy lines. The English soldiers, the young men from England, had flocked to recruiting offices by the thousands, the tens of thousands, even by the hundreds of thousands. They, these young men, were most eager to contribute to the efforts of freedom in Europe. They arose from trenches that day, convinced that they would carry the day, convinced they would see a victory. They were convinced that good would triumph over evil. By the end of the day, by nightfall that night, some 60,000 British soldiers had been killed. In a single single day, 60,000 young men had lost their life in a battle in a country that they didn't live in, a country that wasn't theirs, fighting an enemy that was coming against friends of theirs, but yet in a single day, 60,000 British soldiers fought to their death in that small, unassuming place known as the Somme River. The battle would rage not just for one day, but it would go on for five months, 142 days later. 142 days later of shelling, of bombs, of warfare, of attacks and counterattacks, the battle was finally, finally seated as a loss for the British people. The battle would rage those 142 days and end in November of 1916, right in the heart of World War I. And during those 142 bloody days, 1.2 million English and French young men would give their life for the cause. According, According to those who've studied these things, they say that in that single day of, in July of 1916, The loss of 60,000 young men in a single day. There was something that happened to the very spirit of the country of England. They say that in that day there was marked an end of the age of what England always had referred to as her vital optimism. That, um, That they would lose their vital optimism and they would never recover that vital, vital optimism. This vital optimism was defined as being a quality in their spirit. A quality in their spirit where they lived with the persuasion that the best is yet to come. The people of England had lived that we may have a dark day, but tomorrow is going to be better. And we may go through something today, but there's always a bright future. And the best is yet to come. And for over a hundred years at that time, the British society had enjoyed unbridled optimism. 
They were, they were at the top of the world. They, they led the world in, in, so, in so many ways. But it was in this moment that their vital optimism had been snatched from them in a single stay. That bedrock of belief that no matter how bad today was, there would always be a better tomorrow. And in a single day in 1916, that was snatched from them. And now, 102 years later, history proves that that vital optimism has never really been fully restored to the people of England. In that single night, when vital optimism was lost and their faith was lost and few families were left untouched with dead sons or dead husbands, with catastrophic losses that would cause cultural momentum to stop. The forward progress of their culture that had been building for centuries would stop at that moment and, and then they would begin to measure their life by mediocrity that was built more of we're going through the motions of life rather than with vital optimism knowing that there's always going to be a better tomorrow. And a single moment in history for this country I'm spending some time talking about these two words, vital optimism. But in a single moment in history, the, the forward motion, the optimism of a nation had died. This seems almost too incredible to be true. It seems impossible that momentum that was built over years of faith and years of of a country's confidence uh, could be stopped in a day. And not only stopped, but it could stop any sort of forward, a forward motion. You could say it this way, that for that country, that country has never known the greatness that it had known before 1916. And now, 100 years later, you can absolutely understand and know that hope, hope had been lost for that people in a single day. Oh, we look, for, we look back now and we see, we see their royalty and we see much of their pomp and circumstance of the English people. But they don't have the grandeur, nor the power, nor the faith, nor the forward optimism that they had 100 years ago. Because hope for them was lost in a single day and dreams were forever abandoned. And people who had lived a life that was based on great expectations would now gravitate towards a life led by mediocrity. And and literally, literally, they they would go through life out of routine and obligation more than faith and confidence that tomorrow will be better. This is exactly where we find the, the patriarch Jacob, where I read from you a moment ago. Jacob, the man who had a changed name, had a name change to his name being Israel, was nearing the end of his life. His life, his journey had been epic. His, his steps had been incredible. There were stories that we look back. There were miraculous moments that had occurred during his life that you really really have a hard time comprehending. This was the man who had a dream. And in his dream, he would witness a ladder extended from heaven. 
And as he slept, he would observe angels coming from heaven to the place that he slept. And they would ascend back up the ladder into the heavens. This was a man who one day, one night, had come face to face with God. And had wrestled with God. And had had been touched by God. And in that moment had had his name changed by God. This man had had victories. He'd had tremendous things happen to him. He had inherited all the promises and all the blessings of his father, Abraham. He had earned the hand finally after 14 years of service. The beloved, the hand of his beloved Rachel, whom he found to be so beautiful. And he would stand on a mountaintop of life, full of hope, full of anticipation. And he had walked through dark valleys. He had walked through times of grief and of disappointment. But he knew what it was to live on the mountaintop of life. If you were to visit him early in life, his twin brother who was born first came out. He came out red and hairy from his mother's womb. But Jacob came out a good-looking kid. Not, not red and hairy and ugly like his little brother, but, but, but he, like his big brother. But he came out beautiful. And, and he came out, uh, not only that, with an aggressive personality that the Scripture tells us that when the youngest of the two was born, Jacob, he grabbed the ankle of his brother and he was always reaching and always grabbing. And you find the life of Jacob where he would reach and grab his brother's birthright. He would reach and grab his father's blessing. He would reach and grab for whatever it took to get his beloved wife, Rachel, to be to be his wife. He would do these things because in his youth, the aggressive, the aggressive, it seemed the blessings of God were upon him. He, he, he didn't take no for an answer. And, and he, he really, he really moved forward in life. He was able to move forward in life and enjoy blessings because he, 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 he didn't, he didn't take no and he moved. It was, it was this Jacob. It was this child, this heel grabber who would also have character flaws that he would have to deal with in his character. As a young man, he would stop at nothing to achieve his dreams. He would manipulate his brother to get the birthright. He, he, would, he would manipulate and steal his brother's blessing. But he would walk away from the youth of his life with everything that he could have dreamed for. He, he would leave home uh, under a cloud of confusion from his brother. But he would leave home carrying upon him the birthright and a dream of his brother, the future of his family, and a young man with a determination that I'll take life on, and I'll wrestle life, and I'll come out on top of life, whatever it takes. But in Genesis 45, where we just read, in Genesis 45, we find a completely different man. He's old. He's aged. The fire no longer burns bright in his eyes. His grand dreams and expectations now are but hollow memories of what they could have been. And life seems to have happened to him. His beloved bride has passed away. 
Her firstborn son, Joseph, uh, was evidently killed by the stories that he was told. And he died an early death. Uh, the vital optimism that Jacob had entered life in was gone. And he knew what it was to feel loss. He knew what it was to feel disappointment. He knew what it was to deal with grief. Uh, he had his vital optimism, that faith and confidence and, and sure cockiness uh, of youthful zeal had been replaced uh, with jaded, jaded cynicism. He, cynicism. He's a man who feels maybe that he's known more defeats than he has known victories. He's seen more trials than he's seen triumphs. He's, he's had more disappointments than he's had uh, happy days. And, and somewhere along the way, uh, his faith has been traded in for fear. At some point, we don't know what day it was, but the faith of that young man had been swapped. He had been to the trading post of life, uh, full of faith. But somewhere in that, in that journey of life, uh, he stopped at the trading post and faith was left on the counter and he walked away from that event he walked away from that time filled with fear not knowing what tomorrow might had might have happened to him nothing it seems like he became a, a hollow shell of, of whom that he was at an earlier time and with the context of of what we read today we understand at the end of his life he's got sons that have turned on him he's got sons that have died he's buried his his two wives life has been difficult he has little reason to hope and then in the in the eve of his life famine comes to his life and his family and his country there's no rain and there's no water and there's no irrigation and now there's no crops and there's no food and so now there's a challenge to feed his family to feed his servants there's a challenge just for survival but news comes to Jacob and his sons that there is there is grain to be had in Egypt. There is provision to be had in Egypt. And somehow, if we can just get there, we'll be able to get food to sustain us through this dry season. So Jacob, he sends his sons to see if they can buy some of the food from Egypt. It seems like at this point in Jacob's life, and I may well be describing someone here today, but it would appear now that at this point in Jacob's life, nothing Nothing comes easy anymore. Everything becomes difficult. Everything becomes a battle. Everything has become a struggle, even finding food. And nothing is just easy. It seems like he's got the money in the bank. He'll send his sons to Egypt. They'll buy food and bring it back. And problem solved. But you and I both know it would seem when you don't have money that money would fix the problems of life. But when you get to the place where you have some money, you real suddenly realize I have the same problems with the money that I had before I had the money. In other words, you have the same issues in life. The rich man faces the same problem that the poor man does. The man in the food line is wondering where he could get some money from. The man with a lot of money is wondering how do I keep from losing all of my money? It's still a money problem. Now, I wouldn't mind being the guy that, that for the rest of his 
life worried about hanging on to it. Uh, that, that would be that if I had my choice. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I've known what it is to live with life uh, without a lot of money when I didn't have any to have the provision of God. And I know what it is to have things and protections in my life where God has protected what I had. But it's the same problem. And Jacob's learning that life doesn't get easier with time. And life doesn't get easier with your social position in life. So it's in his mind, I'll send my sons to Egypt. They can bring money back. They'll bring food back. They'll take my money. They'll bring back food. Problem solved. But the problem was not solved. His sons come back with a sampling of grain, with a sampling of food. But they also leave one of their brothers imprisoned back in Egypt. And they come back with a message from the governor of of, of Egypt that said, listen, we think that there's another younger son by the name of Benjamin. But if you want any more food from Egypt, you're going to have to bring Benjamin over here. And Benjamin now has replaced the long lost son, Joseph, who died years ago. And now suddenly to survive, to get food for tomorrow, Jacob's face, this is going to cost me a whole lot more than I planned on it costing me. I thought I could send my debit card over there. I thought I could go down to the bank and pull out a few thousand dollars and I could put that in my son's billfold and that would take care of it. I thought I may could just go on the Amazon of life and I could make the order and I could e-pay, I could e I could e-pay the situation and get it all taken care of. But no, now if you want an answer and if you want provision from Egypt, it's going to cost you something more. It seems like victories always cost you something. It seems like there's sometimes your faith gets assaulted and things happen and they're really to pay your way to find victory. It's going to cost you more than it did last time. Let me tell you, never be afraid of what it costs to get a victory because the victory is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Amen. 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 So now it's nothing comes easy anymore. And, and you see the tremor in the hand of the great man, Jacob. You see Israel as he ponders, uh, do I, do I trust, uh, do I trust my boy, my favorite boy in the situations that I can't trust? Uh, let me just pause here for a moment. You need to be able to trust your children into the hands of God. You need to be able to trust your children into the hands of the church. You need to be able to trust your children into the hands of a God who's going to take care of them. I know sometimes we feel like we've got to be total protector. But let me suggest to you, instead of us trying to always be the protector, I say be the truster. And trust your hands, your children, and the man of God. And trust your marriage into the, into the hands of God. And trust your finances into the hands of God. Don't always feel like you got to group everything together and be the protector. But say, God, here is my money. You can have it. God, here is my family. You can have it. God, here is my marriage. Here is my children. Here is my future, God. I'm not going to grasp it and cling to it and try to be protectress. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up my arms and open up my spirit and say, God, I hold nothing back. And I want victory tomorrow if it's going to require anything, Lord. I open my arms and I allow you to have it, Jesus. I allow you to have it, Jesus. 
Jacob couldn't quite do this at this point. It's too hard to pay some prices. And Jacob refused. But also the famine continued. And the bins got emptier. And water got drier. And less and less food. And stomachs were becoming to growl. And finally in despair. And finally in despair. He said, I will send my son. He sends his son there. And when they come back with food this time. The sons all come back. And they have food. And they're rejoicing. But they come back rejoicing. And it's not. It's not the rejoicing that he anticipated. That was going to happen. But when when he's sitting there. Alone. Worried about his sons. Not knowing really what the future holds. When his boys come back. They come back. And they say. Dad. We got a message. We've got something to tell you. Sit down dad. It's going to be hard accepting this. You're not planning for this. But I want you to know dad. That we're going to. We're going to give you a good word today. And when they arrived there, he, they begin to tell him. They said, uh, your, your son, Joseph, is yet alive. Joseph is not dead. We're the boys who told you a long time ago that he was dead. But he never died. But actually, Joseph is now the governor over Egypt. And it's Joseph who sent the food back to you. And it's Joseph who is a part of this miracle that's going on in our lives right now. And something happened in Jacob. The Bible says, we read it earlier, he says, his heart became faint and he could not believe, he could not accept the good news that his sons were bringing him. There are spirits alive today that want to assault the minds of men and women and good saints of God and they want them to believe a message that there's no hope and there's no future and there's no promise and there's no miraculous. But let me tell you something. Let me just bring you a sure word today. There is a there is a vital optimism that's available to the church. And there's a vital optimism that's available to every man and woman. And it's a thing called faith. And I promise you, your tomorrows can be better than your today's. Amen, 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 amen. Your tomorrows can be better than your today. And you may have had your faith stolen from you, but I say in the name of Jesus that there's going to be a stirring up in your faith and in your heart today. Amen, 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 amen. He had a hard time accepting the message that that boy was alive. But if you, when we read that scripture, just, uh, it just, uh, in the last portion of that verse, it says Jacob's heart was failing him because he couldn't believe it. You go to the next verse, it says, and then the wagons began to arrive. When the wagons started coming up, they found in those wagons food. They found provision more than they could have thought for or prayed for. And when he saw the wagons, the provision that was in the wagons, the Bible says, and we read that to you, that the spirit of Jacob, their father, was, was revived. When they saw when he saw the tremendous uh, provision that was being sent to him, his spirit uh, began to revive. Uh, let me tell you, the best thing that can happen in your world is for you to be witness uh, to a prayer being answered from God. Uh, the best thing that can happen in your life is for you to see the wagons uh, arrive at the front of your place, uh, at the front of your despair, at the front doors of your problems, and be able to see and realize uh, God's still answers prayer and God still provides and God still answering 
Amen. 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 Somebody needs the wagon to pull up to your house today and tell you you've got a future. Somebody needs to see the wagons pulling up and there's hope for your tomorrow. And there's a promise for your tomorrow. And there's an answer for tomorrow that's better than what you're dealing with today. Amen. 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 Let me tell you about a little wagon that pulled up two weeks ago. I mentioned a moment ago that Liz came up for prayer last week when she stood right here for prayer. I didn't know she needed prayer. I was just praying for people. She just came up during the altar service. We didn't know that she was dealing with some physical issues, but she was. She had surgery scheduled for the next Friday, and I told you how she went for a pre-op visit. She went there. The doctor says there's nothing here to operate for. There's no reason to have a surgery. Let me tell you what happened right there. Let me tell you what happened right there. And she was dealing with some stuff. And she got in the presence of God. And while she was there, wagons started rolling her way. And, and a wagon rolled up to where she was standing. And a wagon said, you know what? I can take the pain out of your body. And I can take the tumors out of your body. And I can take this junk in the body. And I say this in the name of Jesus. There's a wagon wants to roll up to somebody's heart and spirit this morning. And your faith can be revived and your spirit can be revived hallelujah hallelujah there is no doubt in my mind this morning it's someone that is hearing my voice you have lost your vital optimism you have lost the faith for tomorrow you don't see a happy tomorrow you deal with helplessness you deal with hopelessness you don't have any idea how to deal with life that's been presented to you every fiber of your being when you embarked in this life you started out young strong excited full of faith thinking and you could whip the world, but you find yourself in a place where you feel like the world has whipped you, where you feel like the world has got you by a stranglehold and is trying to squeeze life out of you. But I stand here with a faith and confidence that there's a wagon of faith, there's a wagon of provision, there's a wagon of answered prayers that wants to pull up to where you are. Amen. Amen. I am determined to stir faith today. I am determined to speak to you today. I am determined to see faith rise up, rise up strong in your spirit this Sunday morning. You see, so many times when you begin to step into the atmosphere where you realize God's got to get the miracle. God's got to take care. If God doesn't fix it, it's not going to be fixed. I fixed it and I broke it. I worked it kind of like my old car out there. I mean, that car, I told you, a few weeks ago, I was looking at my phone. A few months ago, I was looking at my phone, not paying attention, acting like some of y'all driving down the road. I missed the curve. They put a new curve in the road that day. I ran across the curb. I tore. By the time they got finished fixing the bottom of that car, it was $7,000 worth of damage, and my car didn't have a dent on it. I've enjoyed my car. got it back, but it still hadn't been right. This week, I'm running down the highway of life. I look at I leave the car wash. I look at my back window and I'm thinking, man, that back window's dirty. I didn't realize my back window was covered with oil. And I didn't realize all, all that was going on. I'm going down the road about 85 or 90 miles an hour. I mean, just under the speed limit. And, 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 uh, and all suddenly my car dies. I put it in neutral and I coast off the freeway. I coast into a parking lot. And I say, oh, well, the car's dead. It wouldn't start back up. So I don't even get out of the car. I sit there in the car. Just, just okay. It's 
it's dead. I, I, if I got out of it, what am I going to do to it? If I opened up the hood, I don't even know how to open the hood. So what am I going to do? I could look and say, yeah, it don't work. I mean, I already knew that. So I rolled both windows down, and I called a wrecker, and I called my wife. I'm headed for the hospitals. I, I called the folks at the hospital, but I was on the way to see that my car is broke. When the wrecker finally arrived an hour later, he backs up to me. I hadn't got out of the car yet. When he backs up to me, I get out of the car and walk around. He says, man, I don't want to put your car on my truck. I said, why not? He said, because look at all that oil on your car from the top of my car to the side. It was just a whole sheen of oil that was going down the side. I said, oh, man, this is ugly. Your car is going to get messed up my car's messed up your truck's going to get messed up we're both having a bad day. you ever had this kind of a week anybody ever lived here before and so we put it on the record we brought it to the garage and got it running this week they, they had it delivered over here to the church and and they, they charged me three hundred dollars to fix the hose that was blown off of it and when i cranked the car up last night when i get home the engine's knocking on it knock 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 i get home i can't even drive it hardly home because the oil lights flick and it slows down the car dies I, I, have you ever been in line where no matter what you do it seems like it's not working and you feel like it's a hopeless cause understand something this morning that's life and wherever you are in life. It might be a broke car. It might be a broke relationship. It might be a broke career. It might be a broke family. It might be a, it might be broken children, but whatever it is, I stand here with a faith and a determination in my spirit today to say uh, there is hope for tomorrow and the wagon is on the way. There's a wagon on the way of provision. There's a wagon on the way of answers. Amen. Amen, amen. I ought to stir your faith this morning to realize you may be living in what you think is hell, but you just look up and listen. God's on the way with an answer, and God's on the way with a provision, and you're about to get a word from God. You're about to have fresh faith from God. And when you're living in that place, when your faith is under assault, the last thing you want to hear is the word faith. You go to church and your faith has been beat up. And the preachers start to say, you got to have faith. You don't want to hear faith. You won't answer. The last thing you want to hear is about somebody getting a miracle. Because you're in a mess and you don't have no faith. And your faith has been assaulted. So the last thing I want, I want to hear about somebody. I want to hear about troubles and trials and tribulations. And how am I going to live in this place of brokenness? How am I going to navigate? I suggest today, I don't want this church to ever be like the AA. Where you stand up and say, hi, my name is Kent. And I've been sober for two years, two months, two days, and two minutes. What I want this place to be is say, hi. My name is Kent, and I once was a drunk, but for two years, two days, I've been set free. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. This is not a place for recovering failures. This is not a place for recovering alcoholics and for recovering drug addicts. This is a place for delivered failure. This is a place for delivered alcoholics. This is a place for for deliverance. And I stand here today knowing there's a wagon that's backing up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. I, this is the kind of faith I've got today. We, I had, went to a district conference this week. The church that we attended for that uh, was a beautiful new church. I mean, I mean, every bell and whistle, it's a dream come true. And, and if somebody wants to give seven, eight million dollars tomorrow, we can have it by next week, all right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just that easy. It's just, just six or seven, eight million dollars. No, no problem. But when I went up on the stage, I was walking around, wandering around, looking for things. Uh, there was a meeting going on and I got loose uh, and I wandered all through and I went up on the stage. The meeting was going on and I went behind their stage and I, and I went back there it was all sort of neat bells and whistles uh, like Brother Trent and others would just love all, all the gadgets and the gimmickry but what I saw it was something that intrigued me back behind their stage their stage was level like this and with a parking lot and, and when I went back there was a garage door behind the stage and so I looked at that garage door and I got to thinking what do you need a garage door behind your stage for and then it dawned on me that if they're going to have something go on, they're going to need something to bring something in. They just back the truck up and unload it. You know what we need in this church? We need a garage door kind of over in the altar area. Where the heavenly wagons will back up. And when saints of God pray, they hear this beep, beep, beep sounding. And it's not some big thing that's going to destroy you. But that's the wagons of heaven. That's the semi of heaven that's backing up to the place where prayers are answered. And you hear that beep. No, when you hear that sound, when it comes to the spirit, you ought to start getting exciting. You ought to start rejoicing. Because that beeping is not trouble. That beeping is not failure. That beeping is not warning you that you're about to get run over. That beeping is not negative, but that's the wagons of the Holy Ghost that are being backed up your direction and God wants to fix your circumstance. He wants to provide. He wants to provide. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And there was a scripture, there's a scripture in the New Testament that I want, I, want, I want you to read with me. Because there was a time when Peter's faith was beat up and assaulted. He didn't know what was going on. Life was, life was, kind, of, life was kind of upside down. But in Luke 22 and 31, the Lord looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, Simon. He says, the devil, Satan, hath desired to have you, that he can sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted you strengthen your brethren he said Simon the devil is after you and he wants to sift you like wheat he, he, he wants to that, what, what that means is in their harvest times they would take a, they would bring all the grain in and, and then, then they would take a fork in the threshing floor it's a, it's a threshing term and they would take a pitchfork and they would run it and they would stick it into that wheat and they would throw it up into the air and, and the good seed would fall down and the chaff and the stuff that didn't need to be in their life uh, that didn't need to be there that would just drift away and, and you've heard the term this was sh- this will separate the shaft from the wheat and so he, he takes that in and throws it up uh, the good stuff falls and 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 and, and the good and the bad stuff it, it floats away but the, the lord is talking to simon and saying simon the devil is trying to treat you as if uh, he was wanting to sift you as wheat uh, but you know good and well if the devil starts sifting you he's not trying to separate the bad from the good he's trying to separate the good from you 
Amen. And hell will come at you and say, you know what? There's no reason for you to believe God's going to take care of things in your life. That's the devil sticking that fork in there and throwing it up. And he's wanting the good. He's wanting your trust. He's wanting your faith. He's wanting your dependence on him. He wants that to be gone. He wants you to be discouraged and overwhelmed and full of fear. But I say in the name of Jesus, it's not the process of God to reaching into your life and sifting the good from the bad. But what he wants to do is the man of God said, Simon, the devil's trying to sift you. He's trying to separate your life, but I'm praying for you. I'm pr- There's a spirit of God. There's an anointing of the Lord that he's focused on your direction. He says, I'm praying for you that your faith doesn't fail you. There's an assault on faith. There's an assault on hope. There's an assault on the bright future, but I rebuke that by the authority of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Your living circumstances may not be what you dreamed about, but hear me today. Don't let hell tell you this is as good as it's going to get, and it may even get worse. But I say in the Holy Ghost, it's going to get better. There's an answer. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. Amen. 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 You may not have enough money to navigate what you're faced with today, but don't let hell tell you you're about to go under. You're not going to survive. It's going to get worse. But I declare by the authority of the Holy Ghost, there's a wagon, a provision that's going to back up and you will live through this. You will survive this. There will be a way of escape. There'll be a way of provision and God's going to take care of that. Amen. Amen. You wonder, how could I live for God? You just get your hands in there, get your faith in there, and say, God, if there's a chance that you might show up at the house of God, I'm going to be there. If there's a chance that there might be something moving, I'm going to be where there's going to be something going on. I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. I'll be faithful in my prayer. I'll be faithful in my fasting. I'll be faithful in my personal consecrations. I'll be faithful, and I'll keep coming because there's going to be a wagon one day when you get there, and you're going to wonder, when did they put that garage door in the church? When did they put that open in there? And we're going to say that a place for provision has always been there. But finally, we've got that thing lifted up. And that thing, that truck, that's back, that wagon that's backing in is your answered prayers. That wagon that's backing in is going, to be, is going to be evidence of your faith and of your trust and of your faithfulness. <laughs> you know, when your prayer gets answered, your spirit gets revived. You go through life and your spirit gets down. Your spirit gets down. You don't, I don't even want to go to church. My spirit's down. Don't even feel like going. You know, when you're full of faith, I mean, you get there early. You know, when you don't have no faith, you're lucky to get there at all. Are you with me now? Amen. But when you're full of faith, it's easy. But when your faith has been battered and when hell has been assaulting you, and that you've been sifted by hell. And the devil's trying to destroy you. And there's things going across ways in your world. And things are not just working out. If you can just get to the presence of God, you're going to realize that there is wagons that are waiting for me. There's provision. There's provision. And you're here today with no faith. You're here today with a very dismal tomorrow. You're here today living at the mercies of everything but yourself. But I declare unto you by the authority of the Holy Ghost, there is a wagon, a provision, and a wagon that's going to take care of your tomorrows. And there's stuff that you'll find in the house of God that will literally transform your todays. And your tomorrows are going to be better than you can imagine.
You say, you ought to be more negative, Pastor. No, no, no. The world's negative enough. Hell's negative enough. Before you got here, you got assaulted with all sort of negative thoughts, all sort of negative things. You saw advertisements. You hear news reports. Everything around you is negative. Everything, we're just assaulted with it. There's got to be a place of refuge where you could come in and realize that there is hope for my tomorrow. There's a faith and there's a provision and the power and the presence of God. And I've come to lift your spirit today. And I preach a revival in your spirit. I declare a revival in your mind. I declare a revival in your faith. I declare a revival in your heart. I declare a revival in your circumstances. I declare an uplift and a revival in the circumstances that you're dealing with right now. Mm. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. There's a song that the choir used to sing around here. Then they adapted it to a, they adapted it to a, a praise group song. But there's a line, I don't know the whole word, the, the whole lines of it. But there's one line that I remember. And every time I hear that song said, I, I've got hand motions. I'll pause. If you don't enjoy worshiping in church, something's wrong with you. Okay. And I'm a worshiper, okay? I really am. And they don't let me lead singing like they used to. You know, for 35, 40 years, man, I was a song leader. My daddy put me to leading song service the old-style way with a songbook when I was 11 years old. I was a song leader in the church at 11. Wasn't much of a church, but didn't have much of a song leader either. So, so what, what did it hurt? At 11 years old, I'd misbehave every once in a while. He'd take me down for a couple of weeks. I'd sit on the front row, and the whole church knew the song leader has been misbehaving because he got sat down. (laughs) But they saw when I started behaving again because I got back up on a Wednesday night and let's sing it again. That was the way it was. No mercy. You just sit down, boy, until you straighten up, change your attitude. That's just, just the way it was. They don't let me sing anymore. I'm in the old songs in the book. Boy, I knew them by the page number. I, I could just, I could just, I, I didn't need a book. And, and we could just do it. I could hook them all up. I mean, every one of them kind of had the same key and the same note anyway. And I could just hook hundreds of them up and just go. I could sing all day long. They don't let me sing no more. They don't. They don't let me do that. They fuss at me. A, a Sunday, a Sunday night, two weeks ago, they, let my, they left my microphone on during song service. Or I left it on. And I, I just forgot to flip the thing off. And, and I'm hearing some, some crazy sounds. And I'm thinking the sound system's messed up. I'm thinking the sound system. And I look over there and my wife is going. <laughs> Kayla. Kayla's going, oh, brother. She can roll her eyes with the best of them. And Trish just, oh, dad. Oh, dad. Oh, yeah. But I, I, was, I was worshiping, and my worship's different than it used to be. It may sound like a sick cow that's bellowing. Because I, I, I don't stay where they're supposed to stay. I, I like the oohs and the ahs and the moans and the groans. I, I, do, all, I do all of that stuff. It don't fit, it don't fit what, they're, what they're trying to do, but it fits something in my spirit. Let me just tell you this. You may not have a singing gene in your body, but you, you, can, have, you can have a little worship in your spirit. And, and nobody else might not want to hear it, but God's ready to hear it, and God's ready to accept it. 
And you need to be able, in the midst of your problem, to be able to moan and groan in the Holy Ghost. To pray until you feel tongues. To see something uplift in your spirit until you can talk in tongues. And you can worship with the freedom and the liberty of the Holy Ghost. And it might not sound real pretty. It might not ever make a microphone or the church recording. But it will make the annals of heaven. And heaven will stop and say, oh, old boy's loose again. But let's see what comes out of his worship. Amen. Amen. There ought to be an excitement come to us when we see somebody baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There ought to be a revival in your spirit when you see them go in that water and they come out. And their sins have been washed. Their sins have been remitted. And there becomes a revival. A revival in your spirit. And that's what I'm preaching about today. You're going to go out of here. Somebody's going to go out of here today with fresh wind and, and fresh faith and, and fresh revival in your heart. You're going to come out of here saying, why did I even show up? And you're going to say, I bet I'm sure I'm glad I showed up. I, I couldn't have made it without showing up because I feel a revival. I feel faith in my spirit. I, I feel promise for tomorrow. I got something good going my way. Hallelujah. I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me. And you're here today, and life is not optimum for you right now. You don't have optimum faith. And you don't have optimum circumstances. And the details of your life, if everybody knew them, you, they would bring you shame. But that doesn't matter. Because none of us are going to need to know those details. But I believe there's a revival for your spirit available in this room this morning. There's a revival for your spirit. You might have come in here broken. But you can walk out of here with that brokenness uplifted with the joy of the Holy Ghost. You might have come in here hopeless, but you're going to be able to walk out of here with a fresh reviving of hope saying, I think I can do it. I think there's a way to navigate out of my circumstances. You might have come in here overwhelmed with life's pressures, but I'm here to say you can walk out of here with the release of the pressures, and you can walk out of here with the confidence of knowing I was in the right place, and the wagons of promise backed up to my spirit, the semi of faith backed into my spirit, and I've got hope for tomorrow. I've got hope for tomorrow. I've got hope for my children. I've got hope for my living circumstances. I've got hope for my finances. I've got hope for the place in life that I'm in. And I believe absolutely in this place is the opportunity for there to be a revival, a revival of your faith.